please be aware that True Crime by the Book may discuss topics, share opinions, and use language that could be disturbing or offensive to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, guys? Okay, as many of you knew or know, there has been some craziness going on in my world here lately, and... I promised on social media that I would explain what's happening. And uh, basically, I'm like many other people, have been feeling the crunch from the state of the economy, this coronavirus outbreak. A lot of things have contributed to my hours being greatly reduced at work. Now, to you, that might sound like, well, then that just means you have more time to work on this podcast. But being that... I am a person who has uh, high anxiety and who has been depressed in the past. Um, not so much right this second, but but yeah, I I, st- I keep a stiff drink around because of the situations that uh, that have arose. What has arisen is all of these things have made the market kind of unstable, especially in the line of work that I'm in and. They found it uh, necessary to cut hours. So in on Thursday of last week or whenever you're hearing this, Thursday, I had a 40 hour a week job and I worked overtime quite a bit. Friday, the very next day, I got cut to 25 hours a week. And Trust me, I'm barely affording it off of 40 hours. I'm barely affording uh, rent, utilities, keeping up on everything that I need to keep up with in order to produce this podcast. The podcast is based on books and documentaries, and it's starting to look like I'm going to have to tighten the purse strings where I would have to eliminate my Audible subscription, eliminate my Kindle Unlimited subscription, eliminate Netflix and Hulu and all of those other shows, all of those other platforms and apps just to be able to maybe stay afloat. And I don't even think I'm going to be able to to do it with all of those uh, changes that I'm planning to make. So me, I have, you know, my issues. I get inside my own head and then I don't get out of my head and it takes a long time to bring me back into the real world. And that is where I'm at right now. I'm I'm hoping I miss talking to you guys. And I'm hoping this fills my void needing somebody to vent to, I guess. I guess you can say it like that. Um, If you are in a position to assist the, po- the podcast financially, I've got a a Patreon page set up. I don't have any bonus content up as of yet, but give me one patron and I will put something there just for you. I also uh, will leave a link in my show notes for anybody who wants to leave me a buck or two just to to get my, my daily dose of coffee or whatever. You can earmark exactly what you want your money spent on but if you guys can help i'd appreciate it 
the one thing that helps and it doesn't really cost a lot of anything but time and a little effort is to leave a review um, on your platform of choice. Now, enough of sad, Tasha. Let's get in to today's episode. And I'm thanking anybody who can respond to this in advance. I appreciate it. Thanks. Tidings and salutations, bibliophiles. Welcome back to True Crime by the Book. I am the librarian, Tasha Pierce, and today we're going to learn about Pressa Canarios, cults of personality, and unfortunately, murder. But before I get into Red Zone by true crime queen Aphrodite Jones, let's say thanks to the bookworms who have left reviews. This week I'm shouting out Why So Loud from Apple Podcasts and the beautiful Karen T from Facebook. So I'm looking for you. Yeah, you to leave a review for the show on your platform of choice so I can give you a personal greeting and you can help others find the podcast. That's a win-win if I ever heard one. Now, let's talk about one of the most well-known true crime authors in the game, shall we? Aphrodite Jones is a best-selling true crime author and journalist who uses her reporter's hunch to investigate and write about murder. Through her eyes, Jones brings readers inside murder cases as she explores dark motives and conveys the emotional truths hiding behind the tragedy. Over the past two decades, Jones has written a string of best-selling true crime books and has provided TV commentary and expert insights into the psychological profiles of both criminals and victims. In recent years, the author created a hit reality crime TV series, True Crime with Aphrodite Jones, which aired on Investigation Discovery for six seasons. The series followed Jones as she unraveled new mysteries lurking behind cases that shocked America. Casey Anthony, Scott Peterson, John Bonet Ramsey, Phil Spector, and the Menendez brothers are among the riveting cases that Jones covered. Fans of True Crime came to know that they could rely on Jones to present each murder case with authority and flair to depict a chilling portrait of the crime and to treat every victim with compassion. Before landing the hosting position with Investigation Discovery, Jones worked as an investigative reporter for Fox News covering the trials and court hearings of Scott Peterson, Michael Jackson, Barry Bonds, Jerry Sandusky, and Dennis Rader, also known as the BTK Killer. Jones started her TV career as a crime correspondent for America's Most Wanted and went on to create and host a true crime show called The Justice Hunters for USA Network. Early in her TV career, Jones also contributed to KCOP in Los Angeles as a true crime on-air correspondent. When Jones wrote her first book, The FBI Killer, it was quickly turned into an ABC movie of the week, Betrayed by Love, starring Patricia Arquette, which Jones co-produced. Not long afterward, Jones landed the exclusive rights to a teen crime drama that she chronicled in her book, Cruel Sacrifice, which hit the top of the New York Times uh, bestsellers list. Her third book, All She Wanted, was one of the first true crime accounts of a transgender hate crime in America. 
The book was optioned by Diane Keaton and Drew Barrymore, attached to star as Brandon Tina, and was later transformed into the Oscar-winning films, I'm sorry, Oscar-winning film, Boys Don't Cry, starring Hilary Swank. Her seventh best-selling book, A Perfect Husband, was made into the highly acclaimed Lifetime movie, which Jones co-produced, The Staircase Murder. Jones knows the true crime world firsthand. She's known as a TV persona who doesn't sugarcoat important issues for viewers. Hello? Girl. What's wrong? I just talked to Josh. I just got in touch with Josh. He texted me back. He gonna say, Ma, come get me. You know, I just a teacher up here who got that. <laughs> who got that. What? Oh, man. They got tested? Okay, I interrupt this message. <laughs> I interrupt this message to tell you exactly what the hell that just was. That, ladies and gentlemen, was my lovely sister, Felicia. And she was calling to inform me that my nephew, who is 15, had uh, the scare of his young life when his teacher broke out into a coughing fit at work. Now, I have to ask myself... How worried should we all really be? Because the coronavirus is taking over this nation. In fact, it's taking over the world and it is causing a mass panic. And I'm wondering to myself, how much of this is us just panicking and overreacting and how much of it is real, of real concern? And I found out last night just how concerning this is. Anytime a bunch of billionaires put their heads together and say, we need to cancel, suspend this NBA season due to uh, fears of the coronavirus. Now I'm taking it real seriously because billionaires usually give zero fucks. So I'm going to tell you guys, because I'm interrupting our regularly scheduled programming to, to let you know that we have uh, the key to slowing down the spread of this pandemic by simply practicing good hygiene. It's, it's simple as shit. Wash your hands, wash your clothes, wash you. <laughs> Uh, keep your hands away from your eyes and your mouth. When handling money, especially because money is disgusting. Oh, just got this buzz in, breaking news. The NHL suspended the seasoning season now <laughs> indefinitely over coronavirus pandemic. So this is something that is spreading and it, it is causing uh, big businesses to lose money. And any time big business loses money, there's something serious about this pandemic. I ain't trying to scare nobody. I don't believe that, you know, there's much more that we can do to prepare as a society for what we may be in store for. But I'm saying the simple things. Go back to mommy telling you to wash your hands, wash your face, keep yourself clean. Keep the people around you uh, 
if, if you have little children, keep them clean, keep them from putting things in their mouths. Money is the nastiest thing out there. Please don't put that near your mouth or don't touch your face or your mouth after handling money. It's disgusting. You cannot imagine some of the places that money has been. I'm sure you can. So to keep everybody safe and to let you know that I do think about more than crime. I'm telling you, I'm a bit nervous. I'm pretty sure uh, many of you are a bit nervous, but we have the key to slowing down the spread of this virus. And it is in practicing simple, good hygiene. And I hope that everybody is doing that without some random podcaster telling you. But if not, wash your damn hands. Now back to our program. If you follow the blog at tcbytb.com or my social media accounts, which are tcbytb on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, you've known for a while that we were covering a red zone. Now, this book was suggested by a friend of the show, Harriet C., and it is my first listener request. So thanks a lot, Harriet. Uh, I listened to the audiobook narrated by Kat Heiser. I must admit, I was a little disappointed in the narration. Cat uh, repeatedly mentioned the Orion Brotherhood before I realized that she was speaking of the Aryan Brotherhood. And there were several other pronunciations that ground on my nerves, but nobody's perfect, right? It, it did kind of take me out of the story, so be warned. Now, let's get the synopsis before I break the actual crime down and share my take. It was the story that shocked the nation and captured headlines for more than a year. In January 2001, Diane Alexis Whipple bled to death in the hallway of her ritzy Pacific Heights apartment building when she was mauled by two Presacanario, a vicious breed of attack dog imported from the Canary Islands. After the lethal attack, animal experts testified that the dogs could not have been stopped, explaining that they had entered a frenzy called the Red Zone. Now New York Times bestselling author Aphrodite Jones shows that the mauling was only one part of a frightening story involving obsession, bestiality, and illegal dog rings. The dogs belonged to Whipple's neighbors, lawyers Marjorie Noller and Robert Noel, who had been keeping them for a leader of the notorious prison gang, the Aryan Brotherhood. Jones takes us deep into the bizarre world of Paul Cornfed Schneider, a Hannibal Lecter-type character who actually owned the dogs. Bane and Hera, those are the dogs. She explains how Noel and Noller, after being warned about these killer dogs, brought them to the heart of San Francisco leading the dogs eventually to murder an innocent next-door neighbor. Jones is a masterful investigator and writer who was interviewed the complete cast of characters, including Robert Noel and Marjorie Noller, during their imprisonment, and she can now tell the full story of what happened in that apartment hallway. Red Zone is a, is a riveting, page-turning account of this news-making story that takes us deep into the relationship between man and animal. Now, at first glance, you'd think the villain of this story would be Oppressor Canario. I mean, the synopsis spells out that Diane Whipple died as a result of being mauled by one of these attack dogs. But that would be too easy. 
There's no way to get a 10-hour book out of villainizing a dog. And this is one of those times that I felt every one of those 10 hours. (laughs) No, there has to be something or someone more nefarious involved. But since we started with the dogs, I'm going to tell you what I learned about Pressa Canarios while listening to this book. The Pressa Canario is said to have first shown up in the 15th century in Spain and was brought to the Canary Islands by Spanish conquistadors. They were generally bred to be guard or attack dogs, and the dogs can grow to be up to 26 inches tall and over 100 pounds. Their bite is a frightening 540 pounds per square inch. Now, these animals can be trained to be warm and affectionate animals towards families and but strangers and other animals and even children need to be careful. Their natural instinct is to protect and they also have an alpha personality. If you're around one of these dogs and you're afraid or unsure, they will exert their dominance. This type of situation could end in an attack. It is highly suggested that these dogs uh, receive socialization and obedience training from an experienced dog trainer before adopting one as a pet. Again, this is a huge dog. That dog needs space to exercise or it will become destructive. If these procedures had been followed, there would probably be no story to tell today. Unfortunately, this story has already been recorded in the annals of history because of the negligence of Marjorie Noller and her husband, Robert Noel. Now, Marjorie and Robert were attorneys in the San Francisco area. They were living in a Pacific Heights apartment when a close friend of the family, Paul Schneider, asked them to take his dogs in as a favor. The husband and wife couldn't say no to their friends, so they went to pick the two Presa Canarios up and bring them home. The dogs were staying with another of Schneider's friends, but she couldn't control the animals. She even warned Noel and Noller that the dogs were very aggressive. See, this friend raised sheep for a living, but Hera and Bane, the dogs, had killed many of her animals, including her house cat. Now, she did have a tendency to leave them locked in a pen all day. But remember, these dogs need exercise. They began to break out of the pen and act aggressively towards the sheep. Uh, The attorneys pretty much dismissed what she told them and took the dogs back to the apartment. So we got two grown animals, both massive inside, being cooped up in a small apartment around other people. We can all guess where this whole thing is going. Now, one thing about Robert, he was able to kind of handle the dogs. Uh, He tried socialization techniques that he had learned from being a dog owner in the past. When it came to Marjorie, the dogs kind of handled her. As neighbors became aware of the two beasts, it was clear that these dogs were dangerous. Some of the building's occupants would return to their apartments if the dogs were being taken down uh, the hallway for a walk. Marjorie and Robert were well aware that the neighbors were uncomfortable, but they thought it was funny. And it's all fun and games, right? Until someone gets hurt. And that day was coming. This is where Diane Whipple 
comes in the picture. She was the next door neighbor to Marjorie and Robert, and she had just about had it with them and their poorly behaved pets. She had spoken to other residents who felt as if they were being held hostage in their homes by Hera and Bane. So she exchanged angry words with Marjorie about her habit of letting the dogs off leash in the hallways and in elevators. Marjorie pretty much ignored the remarks, but made sure she told Paul Schneider about how terrified the residents were of his presses. Paul was proud that his dogs were living up to the presser reputation. So now Diane and her partner of six years, Sharon Smith, were the picture of happiness. Diane was a former lacrosse player, even playing on the U.S. World Cup team twice. She was a natural athlete, and after barely missing the Olympics in the 800-meter run, she put down roots and became a lacrosse coach at St. Mary's College of California. On January 26, 2001, just five days after her 33rd birthday, Diane was returning home with groceries. As she attempted to balance opening, opening the door to her apartment with her bags, Marjorie came out of her apartment with both dogs. Now, there's only Marjorie's word to go on about what happened next. She says that she exchanged angry words with Diane. And at that point, Bane, the larger male dog, got away from her and attacked Diane. At this time, it was estimated that Bane weighed 143 pounds. He easily took Diane down and began to maul her. Marjorie states that she attempted to defend Diane from the attack to no avail. She stated that Hera was not involved in the attack. Now her retelling is tragic, but mostly because she blames Whipple for her own death. She even said, I told her to stay still. If she had, this would have never happened. Diane sustained over 70 injuries to her entire body, save from her scalp and the soles of her feet. One would think that once Marjorie lost control of the dogs, that she would call 911 to report the attack. She did not. An elderly neighbor who heard the commotion made the call. She couldn't open her door to help Diane for fear of being attacked herself, but she made sure help was on the way. When paramedics and animal control arrived, they couldn't believe the sight. The hallway was covered in Diane's blood, and so was Marjorie Noller. Now, officers entered Noller and Noel's apartment to deal with the deadly dogs. They found Bane locked up in the bathroom. The dog's coat and teeth were painted with blood. The bathroom floor was covered in dog shit. Animal control officers arrived on scene and shot Bane with three trank darts, strong enough to put down a dog of his enormous size. Fifteen minutes later, though, Bane was still unaffected by these tranquilizer darts. Eventually, the animal control officers collared the dog with two poles and dragged him outside the apartment building and put him down for good with 25 cc's of sodium pentobarbital. Now, the paramedics raced Diane to the hospital, where she later succumbed to her injuries. She simply had lost so much blood 
that there was nothing for her heart to continue to pump and she suffered from a heart seizure. Um, this was huge news in the Bay Area. As you can guess, animal rights activists were quick on the scene to defend Hera, ple pleading for her life. <clears throat> like Bane, though, Hera was eventually put down in January of 2002. So the dogs were like our villain in this story until reports of the indifference shown by Marjorie and Robert were made public. In the eyes of the community at large, this indifference cost Diane Whipple her life and subsequently cost the lives of the two Presa Canarios. Now, I'm a huge fan of Marvel and DC movies and comics and cartoons. And in those universes, we find out the identity of a villain only to learn that there may be a bigger bad guy pulling his strings. For instance, in the first Avengers movie, the villain was Loki, and the Avengers had their hands full dealing with him. But by the fourth Avengers installment, we loved Loki, found out he was being controlled by Thanos, who wanted to destroy half of all life in the universe in an attempt to be a savior. Crazy tangent, I know, but I am a nerd, so it, it all makes sense to me. So Thanos had a mighty group behind him, the children of Thanos, who were willing to die for their belief in his cause. Call it a cult of personality. I'm bringing it all home now, so stay with me. Hera and Bane, the dogs, were let down by their family, in this case, Marjorie and Robert. They had no training, so were left to use their base instincts. Uh, Diane, to them, exuded fear, so they asserted their alpha personalities in a horrific way. But that's what they were bred to do. Innately, they served to protect. They were not meant to be confined to small places and weren't taught to control the need to be violently aggressive. Now, in the case of the animals, Marjorie and Robert were the worst thing that ever happened to them. But remember, they aren't the dog's owners. Paul Schneider was. So why is he conspicuously absent from all the blame that's going around? Well, Paul is the big bad. He's always saved for the final act. Paul Cornfed Schneider is the adopted son of Marjorie and Robert. In fact, they adopted him when he was 38 years old and already serving a life sentence in prison after the attack on Diane. That's right. He was the owner of the dogs from prison. At this point in the story, I'll refer to a piece that was published in Mail Magazine, and it's going to give you the Cliff's Notes version of exactly who this guy is. And it was such a well done piece. I used quite a bit of it in uh, explaining who Corn Fed Schneider <laughs> really was. The dog mauling murder of Diane Whipple began with a shit stained soup ladle that was hidden in the ass of an incarcerated white supremacist named Corn Fed. The inmate had carefully honed his jailhouse shiv to a razor sharp edge and then secreted away the blade deep inside of himself. Schneider was scheduled to appear in court to testify in a trial. Once inside the courtroom, 
He retrieved the soup ladle from his rectum and attacked a defense attorney, Philip Cousins. The only way authorities were able to determine how exactly Schneider managed to sneak his shiv into court was one ominous clue. The defense attorney's stab wounds were infected with feces. This nasty son of a bitch. In his later later trial for that attack, Schneider opted to plead guilty. But he had one condition for his plea. He demanded he be rewarded with two pepperoni pizzas and a two liter of Pepsi for not wasting the court's time. He and a fellow inmate enjoyed the bounteous feast. But then he went back on his word and sued the correction system for excessively x-raying him following his courtroom magic trick with the disappearing shiv. Using the money because he won. (laughs) So using the money he won in his lawsuit and inspired by an ad in Dog Fancy, Schneider decided he'd start a dog breeding business with the help of an unmarried Mormon woman who fell in love with the guy known as the most dangerous man in the California prison system. Now, the stud dog that Schneider first purchased to start his dog breeding business was a Presa Canario named Bane. Massive animals, we know that they were bred by Spaniards as work dogs and to herd bulls. Unlike sheep dogs, Presa Canarios prefer to run up to a bull and bite its lip or its ear and then drag the bull to the ground by its face. So let's be real. What chance did Diane Whipple stand against this? But anyway. So Schneider planned to breed and train the Presa Canarios to work as ferocious guard dogs for the Mexican Mafia's meth labs or as part of a dog fighting outfit, depending on who's telling the tale. But instead, Bane wound up being cared for by Schneider's married lawyers and kept in their Tony San Francisco Pacific Heights apartment where one day the hellhound mauled and killed his lawyer's neighbor. Schneider was first locked up in 1985. He was clocking the lax habits of the uh, armed guards who regularly visited the supermarket where his girlfriend worked and decided they were a ripe target. So one day he robbed them and he got away with roughly $100,000. He brought himself a new motorcycle with his stolen loot, rode it out to his stepdad's place to show him the bike and his dad or her stepdad was convinced that his stepson had been the one to rob the local supermarket. So he called the police and turned him in. Now, after he was apprehended, tried, convicted, and sentenced, Schneider was sent to New Folsom State Prison. Behind bars, Schneider became the man that he is today, a murderous white supremacist considered so dangerous that to transport him to court in San Francisco, the Bay Bridge had to be shut down by the California Highway Patrol. He was originally sentenced for armed robbery. However, in 1987, he joined the Aryan Brotherhood. To be accepted by the prison gang, he had to stab a prison guard in the neck, which he did. Now that earned him a life sentence and a pair of tattoos, an A and B inked on his right hand. 
Schneider was eventually transferred to the maximum security uh, facility, Pelican Bay. Now, deep inside that home for the state's worst offenders, he was locked up in solitary confinement in an 11 by 7 foot cell for 22 hours a day. Now, later in 1990, Schneider was brought to court to testify as a witness in another inmate's case. And this is where he stabbed cousin with the soup ladle that he pulled from his ass. That scored him a second life sentence. Then in 2003, he received a third life sentence for arranging the murder of a sheriff's deputy. All of these things, all of these strings being pulled, all of this bullshit is happening while this man is in prison. In the meantime, after Schneider sued the correction system for all those x-rays meant to prevent another soup ladle shiv stabbing, he won and received $11,666.66, the money that he used to buy Bane. Now, Bane, uh, in Old English, it means killer, slayer, murderer, worker of death. In Early Germanic, it means wound. And in Old Norse, it means death or that which causes death. Bane didn't stand a chance. When your name all by itself means death, and you've got this lunatic that is your actual owner, and he's got puppets in the real world doing his bidding, Bane didn't stand a chance. Now, since Schneider was locked up in solitary confinement, he obviously didn't have the space to raise and train Bane and the puppies he planned to breed. So Schneider used the Mormon missionaries who visited the prison as his unwitting partners. Janet Combs is the one uh, who had to be the, the Mormon missionary who had to be talked into going to even be a pen pal with Schneider because another missionary told her she wasn't doing her Christian duty by not going with her to the prison to help other inmates. Now, Schneider, who was 38 at the time, romanced Combs with letters and plied her with sweet words during her missionary prison visits. Over time, he convinced this lonely woman to allow him to store his dogs on her rural property and to care for and feed them as if they were the couple's own furry little children. Combs lived with her teenage daughter in Hayfork, a small town in rural northern California. She's a single mother. She and her daughter Daisy squeaked by with her disability check and what income they could pull out of a small farm where they raised sheep. Adding some dogs to the mix didn't seem like a especially large ask, especially if Schneider gave her money for the food and the medical care for the puppies. But in the months that Bane was on her farm, he killed whatever animals he could, including, like earlier, her, her cat. Yet, despite his bloodlust, it wasn't Bane that ruined the setup with Schneider. It was Schneider himself, because... Combs kept dropping hints about how she wanted to get married and she wanted him to convert to Mormonism. And he was not about to do that. So his unwillingness is why Combs eventually quit the dog breeding business. She didn't make any plans to remove his dogs from her farm. So Schneider threatened her life, telling her that things can happen to your home. Now, that threat was taken seriously enough 
that Janet Combs no longer lives on her form, on her farm in Hayfork raising sheep. She is in the witness protection program instead. Now Schneider arranged from solitary confinement for Combs to hand over Bain and Hera to Marjorie Noller and Robert Noel. The married lawyers decided to keep these dogs again, like we talked about in their sixth floor uh, apartment. Their neighbors were terrified of them. Noller and her husband did not give no fucks. They loved the two dogs, perhaps too much. Weeks after Bain killed Diane Whipple, Noller and Noel decided they needed to add a new member to their family. So in the short time they'd been caring for Bain and Hera, they come to see them as their children. But after the San Francisco animal control officers put down their children, the couple wanted to replace the lost dogs with a human child or a full grown adult. And that is when they adopted their violent white supremacist client, Cornfed Schneider. Now, Noel said that his newly adopted prison gang's leader son serving multiple life sentences was a person who had character and integrity. He's got a family now. But this was just the beginning of the weirdness to come about about their relationship. Per the Southern Poverty Law Center, while seeking evidence in the mauling, police found risque photos of Noller in Schneider's cell. Now, police didn't discuss other evidence, but the but their search warrant said they were after material describing sexual acts by Noel or Noller that involved dogs. Yes, they were fucking the dogs. Now, while he was locked up awaiting trial, uh, Noller and Noel were both charged with manslaughter and keeping a mischievous animal with another charge of second degree murder for Noller. Noel told a reporter from Rolling Stone, all about how impressed he was with the hellhound's enormous dick. He said, Bain was confident, proud, handsome. Bain had an eye for the ladies. He sees Marjorie rolls over on his back and bam, that big red arrow popped out. He had a heart on that boy. Yeah, boy, that was a, that dog was hung. Later, in the same article, a former prison guard recalled how much Noel was impressed by Bain's genitals. I'd get on the phone with Bob to ask him about a case. Yeah. And all he did was talk about how big Bain's balls were. As far as the bestiality pictures mentioned in the police search warrant, Noller denied them. But she did admit that she sent nudes to her client and adopted son. She said, Paul has an inner life he shares with us. He's special. He's our kid and we love him. She later added that as far as the porn she sent to Schneider, it's a tradition to write erotic letters to inmates. It helps them. I flashed my breasts in some pictures. Bob might have sent one of these to Paul. There's nothing to do with dogs. However, in a letter to Schneider, Noller did once brag that Bain was her certified lick therapist sick 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 prosecutors showed in court that Noller and Noel were criminally responsible for these dogs behavior 
recounting how the dogs in their few short months with Nola and Noel had attacked 30 people in all. And of course, the book outlines a lot of these cases. I, for the sake of time, because I've gone on for quite a long time, have left those cases out. But the book is available. You can see how many people had encounters with Bain and Hera. Now, the judge stunned legal observers when Noller was found guilty of second degree murder and sentenced to 15 years to life for what authorities refer to as the first death by dog in the history of San Francisco. Now, later on, her sentence was later reduced to four years. Meanwhile, Noel was similarly found guilty and sentenced to three years for involuntary manslaughter. Both served their years in state prison and were paroled. However, after being paroled during Noller's probation hearing in 2008, San Francisco Superior Court Judge Charlotte Woolard opted to reinstate the jury's original verdict of 15 years to life. Now, at that trial, Sharon Smith, who was Diane Whipple's partner, said that she felt justice had finally been granted. It had been seven years since uh, Whipple's death, and she was now feeling vindicated. But Noller and Noel weren't done fighting the laws, whether civil or natural. In 2015, Noller was once again back before a judge hoping to appeal her conviction. Once again, she lost. And she was denied a final appeal of her life sentence, which presumably ends her legal fight and guarantees that she'll serve out her time for the heinous death of Diane Whipple. As for her husband, Robert Noel died in 2018 on his 77th birthday. Happy birthday, cocksucker. Paul Schneider has repeatedly left disaster in his wake. Damn near every person or thing that he has encountered has been left broken. How does a Mormon woman living a normal life end up in witness protection? Paul Schneider. How does a married couple go from being attorneys to being involved in bestiality, murder, and a bizarre relationship with their client? Their client is Paul Schneider. How did Bain and Hera come to be in that building to attack Diane Whipple? Paul fucking Schneider. He is an unnatural disaster. The worst kind of person to ever come in contact with because he feeds on a person's insecurities and then weaponizes them. He's obviously charismatic enough to get people to hop on board his bullshit train with nothing more than words and letters and some weird art. And I'm positive that you can dig into his past and turn up an even bigger villain than him. Some say it's his stepfather. And that brings me to my conclusion. We as a society can understand that animals can be raised in normal homes and become a loving member of the family. I know people who have pit bulls as pets with no problems because they take the time to teach them right from wrong. We see that dogs shouldn't be to blame when they haven't been taught to know better. Let's exercise that same line of thinking when it comes to people. Now, not with huge crimes like murder, but 
when you come from a depressing and desolated environment, there is like a survival of the fittest mentality. And some people are gifted students or gifted athletes, and they are lucky that those talents take them out of despair. But what about normal, average folks? Sometimes the environment they live in trains them to do other things to survive. I love animals, but I love human beings more. I think that if dogs can be taken out of an abusive situation and rise above their base instincts, so can people. I know, another tangent, but isn't this something to think about? That's it. That's all. That's it. That's all for this week's episode. I liked Red Zone. It gave a lot of info not included in my retelling. So get the book if you want to know more or go to tcbytb.com to see my other sources. And if you'd like to assist the show, I'll leave a link in the show notes and on the blog. Every penny helps. And if you'd like to uh, share the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, well, I won't stop you doing that either. Thank you, everyone, for being a part of this audience. I really, really appreciate you. And watch your feed for the next one because you never know with me, right? (laughs) I'm feeling really pretty good. So watch your feed for the next one. Later, bookworms. here the host of the sooner state true crime podcast we focus on cases based in my wonderful home state of oklahoma and since the term sooner actually refers to the state's very first true crime cheaters in the land run oklahoma is definitely a crime state sooner state true crime can be found in most podcast apps or visit our website anchor dot fm slash crime state new episodes are released twice a month follow us on twitter at crime state for upcoming episodes and more so come away with me and discover my crime state on the sooner state true crime podcast